Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. If you're downsizing in your home or retiring and moving to a new community or simply trying to get clear out the clutter and give yourself some breathing space, you've probably wondered if there are any unseen treasures amid all the stuff you've collected over the years. Well, then, you should meet Keith Alibone. The owner of Goods Vintage and Antiques, Keith got his first lessons from the trade from his father, a lifelong antiques expert who dragged him to flea markets in the early mornings of his youth. After initial forays into a few other businesses, Keith gradually forged his own path by scouring flea markets himself, as well as moving sales, auctions, sidewalk and yard sales, scrap yards, and cluttered houses, perhaps like yours. In today's episode, Keith will talk about how he searches for the diamonds in the rough, whether vintage washes, washes or fine handcrafted furniture from another era. He'll share encounters with some memorable customers and stories of unique pieces with equally unique histories. He'll also offer some advice and, and organizing strategies for homeowners to help separate pieces of value from the merely pedestrian, what's worth keeping and selling, and what you should donate or just throw away. And last, he'll offer his perspective on how the online world is reshaping the antiques business and what it means for both buyers and sellers, all those captivated by the financial and emotional rewards of treasure hunting. So now let's meet our guest, Keith Alibone. Keith, welcome to the show. Ron, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for the lovely introduction as well. You're quite um, welcome. Thanks again. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's good to be here. I I love to um, discuss this uh, this topic. I mean, it's it seems like it's something that everyone is going to have to deal with at one you know in one shape or form uh, at one point in their life. Whether it's uh, someone who you know uh, has to downsize because uh, divorce or death. I, I know it's morbid, but no, it's it's, it's, a, it's a reality. Yeah, yeah, death, divorce, downsizing—that's kind of uh, what you're dealing with when it's when it's time to sell things inside the home. So we um, we kind of will look at anything that's in, in within the drywall of a home. You know, anything hung on the wall to the furniture, rugs, paintings, pottery, uh, collectibles. So um, yeah, it's a wide range. A lot to talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, and I think that um, you know it's something that uh, uh, my wife and I did a little while ago. Um, we're not moving or downsizing, but basically, you know, it just, you get, get to a time where it's like, you know what, we got to deal with this clutter and well, <laughs> to get yourself motivated to do it. And we had right. this uh, sort of a small yard sale. You, you sort of have to say, let's suppose we did have to move in a month. What would we do? Uh, right. Right. But the thing is, there's some stuff you could do with the yard sale, but there's some, there are often issues that you need to have someone like you get involved, you know, and who really know what they're talking about. And that's right. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head earlier when you said that, you know, it's um, it's worth having someone come by who can kind of give you an assessment and give you an idea of things that could be of value, whether it's well-made furniture, you know, jewelry, old watches. Um, these aren't things that you would want to donate or give away for a 50 cents at a yard sale or something like right. that. So it makes sense to have someone come in who knows what um, the current market prices could be and at least right. give an assessment, you know. So. Right. Yeah. So back up a little bit and just, uh, I, sure. I was interested in your story about, you know, learning from your dad, um, you know, so we didn't go into the father, your dad's business, but it's always an interesting lesson that when you're that age, you don't want to learn, but you realize in retrospect, like, oh, okay, I really, he taught me a lot. <laughs> right, right. The old man knows what he's talking about. I mean, right. as much as I rebelled against him when I was, you know, a young teen and all that, it's um, a lot of things he taught me made sense. But I mean, to start off, I mean, he. I guess I could take it back to when he got started. Um, he's 83. He's still doing this. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess you could say as a hobby or part-time. He doesn't really need to yeah. work. He's just he's retired, but he still does it for, for fun because he's always saying it's um, it's not a job. It's a passion. It's, a, it's right. a, something he just can't stop. Right. So yeah, he's still out there buying and selling um, lower, lower scale. He doesn't have a store or anything like that. But um, he was drafted into the military and uh, went to Germany. <clears throat> he learned a lot. Then he learned discipline and, uh, he, he gained confidence. So, uh, when he came home, uh, he was into 
he was he was a machinist at one point because that's mm-hmm. what his dad did. So he was uh, doing some of that. He realized he was pretty good with repairing engines and, and things like that, mm-hmm. small engines. So what he would do was would find broken lawnmowers, broken generators, you know, things that people discarded that they couldn't hmm. fix. He would fix them and sell them. So he would, you know, find a lawnmower for free, fix it for a couple of dollars and sell it for $25, $35. Um, he was lucky to live near something called the Berlin Flea Market. It's a flea market mm-hmm. in South Jersey. <clears throat> It's been around for, I don't know, a hundred years. People go there, they set up, they, they pay their uh, weekend fee and they can set up anything they want at the, at the tables and hundreds and hundreds of people come every weekend to sell. So he was selling his small motors there. He started realizing the guys next to him were doing other things like furniture and rugs. And he was, he was curious and inquisitive. So he found out more about those things, um, started advertising that he does cleanouts, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and buyouts. So again, back to the people in transition, he was targeting people in transition mm-hmm. uh, that needed to declutter and, de- and downsize. And he was buying those things from them that they didn't want or need. And he was reselling them at the flea market and he grew it to, uh, I think he had three stands at one point. He had three, three trucks, three stands and um, about six or seven employees. They would right. just, you know, do, do clean outs and, and just take it all to the flea market and sell on Saturday right. and Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, um, but you didn't just, you know, join the business. You learned from him and then eventually went out on your own. But after, you know, a few different, uh, you know, uh, forays into other things as well, which you also learned a lot, which you apply to this business as well. Right. That's right. Um, it's not like he was grooming me at a young age to be uh, his predecessor or anything like that. But I was always, you know, when young kids are just curious what their what their parents are doing. So I was always, whenever my dad would come home with a haul of things, you know, boxes and boxes of just junk basically right i would always be interested in what what he found and what he had and he would show me some things here and there um you know but it wasn't like it was a passion of mine at that time i remember when i was misbehaving in school i was very disruptive um my teachers would tell my dad and he would for punishment wake me up at 5 a.m to take me to the the flea markets i hated getting up that early i mean i could barely get up to school so um, yeah, he would wake me up on the weekends at 5 a.m. You know, I, I'm like, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years old. <clears throat> and he said, you're coming with me today. So it's dark out. You know, I'm wiping the crust out of my eyes and trying to, right. you know, get acclimated. And by the time I know it, we're at the flea market, uh, the Golden Nugget was another one he sold at because they had a they had a little higher clientele there. Uh-huh. A little more, you know, people with a little bit more money. So he would sell the Golden Nugget. And um, he's the kind of guy who, who gets mad and then gets glad real quick. So basically by like 9 a.m., he would hand me a $10 bill and be like, you know, go find something, go buy something. So right. I would just be this little kid walking around a flea market by myself and he knew everybody there. So it was safe. It wasn't like it was like any danger at that time. And this is like, you know, the early nineties. Right. And, <clears throat> and, uh, I would just go find stuff, whatever I could find that I liked, you know, and buy stuff. So it's kind of like, I've been doing this since I was a little, little guy, like five or six. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, so just to fast forward, you know, I, um, I had a lot of jobs. I've been working since I was 16. I cleaned toilets. I washed dishes. I, I busboyed. I, I did uh-huh. all that stuff. Um, I, I realized quick that it's hard to make money. And I, I wanted to make money for myself because I, again, back to the disruptiveness of, the, of, of, of when I was a child, I kind of had a problem taking orders from people. So, so sometimes I um, didn't enjoy working with people that didn't respect me or didn't, didn't, you know, kind of like um, delegate properly. So when I was about 20, I started figuring out that I want to work for myself and I didn't know what it was. So I, I, I sold meat, you know, door to door. I sold uh, life insurance. Um, I did some uh, public adjusting with the insurance adjusters, um, all kind of like self-motivated stuff where they have like a, a game plan for you and they teach you like fast track programs, right. uh, how right. to sell, how to present, how to, you know, how to um, cultivate uh, clients. Um, I got into real estate around 2006. I think I was, I think I was 21 or 22. I got my mm-hmm. realtor's license after after a failed attempt, I, I failed the first try. I got, second time, I got my real estate license and um, got into that game, which taught me a lot about uh, salesmanship. And then the real estate market took a dump, you know, yeah. took it down. Yeah. And I, I think our I was with uh, Weikert Realtors in New Jersey. I think our office had 98 um, realtors and it went down to 12 in that right. year. So a lot of people jumped ship and uh, I didn't have any savings. I didn't have any backing. So I was kind of like, man. Uh, this is tough. You know, I don't know what to do. I was working two jobs overnight, uh, starting, um, 8 PM to, to, uh, 12 in the afternoon. Um, you know, I was working overnight at a group home. I was taking care of people with developmental disabilities while trying to do the real estate thing during the day. Mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. I think when you're young, you, you don't think you need to sleep. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> when you're 21, 22, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. I can party, I can work two jobs. But right. I was kind of, you know, burning the candle at both ends, as, as you can imagine. So my dad was like, listen, I, I can see you're kind of struggling here. Would you consider doing, doing what I do as a profession? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I never really considered it, but I said, sure. You know, I mean, this is, uh, I was like, I was doing all kinds, I was driving a cab part-time, you know, I was doing all kinds of stuff just to try to stay afloat. Right. Um, and uh, he taught me some things. We went out for a couple of weeks in a row and he taught me, taught me some of the more intricacies of it, but it was very easy for me to adopt and pick up. Right. I already had right. a lot of training with how to deal with people and how to, uh, I guess, sell yourself in that kind of way. And, and um, yeah, I kind of took to it like a, a duck in water. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the, uh, yeah, I mean, I can keep going. If you yeah, want to yeah. Say, but... So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So uh, when you were talking earlier about your dad, it kind of reminded me actually, you know, uh, the things you learn when you don't not even don't even realize it. Uh, so when my my wife was was small, she uh, her dad had a Mister Softy truck, and it Very wasn't cool. uh, not too far from it was in Aston Township, not too far from Philly. You know, so uh, she would you know every night uh, you know he would come home with his trucks and. Uh, that was part of her job to clean up the trucks. So I was like, Oh man. So you, you were the early end. She had the late end, like, Oh my God, <laughs> but you, you learn a lot, you know, and you learn to pick right. up stuff. You're not even aware of uh, in terms of how to, you know, how to get things done, how to conduct business, sure. how to do things. Um, and so when, when you, um, you know, and, and even, you know, I, uh, I had a little bit of time when I, uh, uh, as a, as a, as a reporter and editor, Mm-hmm. One of my jobs earlier was uh, was the real estate editor of uh, of a new daily newspaper, and uh, uh, I left uh, just before the crash. But I could see something was going to happen <laughs> because yeah. the the prices were you know were really overvalued. And so I think right. even experiences like that teach you. I'm sure you you know from various kinds of sales stuff, you really learned and to listen to customers, and you really got a sense of. What what does value really mean? You know, and I think that probably helped you a lot in terms of you know your business now. I mean, yeah, I think that I I did I was cal- calculating the other day or thinking about it uh, the other day. I, I I tried ten different ventures on my mm-hmm. own that failed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they right. all failed. So <clears throat> they say you fail your way to success. I'm not calling myself a success, success but I make a living and I no, can no. support my employees, which is great. Um, but, uh, and I'm having fun. That's the main thing. I mean, I, I did jobs that I hated for a while. I think my last three jobs, I said, this is my last job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I yeah. myself three times, this is my last job. And then I got another one and I said, this is my last job. But no, I mean, it's, uh, you, I think someone who understands how the world works, they, they pick, uh, little gems from everything that they do, anything, anything that any person that they meet, that's kind of like influential, they'll pick something that they can kind of use and, and, and like, uh, use it, use it for themselves. And, uh, I learned a lot of little things from every job that I had, um, which I think allows me to kind of operate the way I do now. Um, which, you know, it wouldn't have happened if I would have just kind of, you know, went from, I don't know, nothing to starting this, it, it wouldn't be the same, you know? Yeah. That way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, uh, one of the things I really find, um, you know, um, not really uh, resonating with me is just this notion of failure. You know, it's like mm. any, any, as you just really said, any, any uh, road to success is just steps of n- not succeeding, you know, yeah. they're not failures are just steps. Like, how do you get here? You know, you have to learn from that stuff. And, yeah. and I think that that's, that's absolutely true. And, and uh, somebody um, a while ago, I was chatting with him and he said, he, one thing he learned was that, you know, you got to keep making mistakes in life. Just make better mm. mistakes as you go along, right? Because that's right. how you're going to learn, you know. Yeah, it's like it's not a mistake. It's just a, you learned a, a way not to do something. That's the that's kind of a good way to look at <laughs> there it. You know I mean? There you go. There you go. Yeah. And going yeah. back to my old man, one thing he said that always stuck with me and still does is uh, he said, "You got to change gears. You got to shift gears in life in general. Right. Like, right. I mean, that could be app- applicable to anything. You just got to right. shift gears. You can't stay stagnant in one gear. You got to move to the next gear. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're gonna probably. Uh, uh, have to take a break soon, but before we do, sure. I, I still want to at least start talking about the businesses up now. Uh, tell me, so tell me a little bit about you know how you uh, how you work now. I mean, I, was, I think people sort sure. of wonder how you you know how you find stuff, with how do you look for stuff? Uh, you know, yeah, sure. Uh, we have a well, we have a brick and mortar 
retail location that's open every day of the week in Philadelphia and the Italian market, it's a very historical neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where we offer our retail for the things that we find. Um, We sell online, uh, whether it's Etsy, eBay, or Instagram. Mm -hmm. I can share links at the end of this too, for those to find some of the things that we're selling. But um, that's where we sell. But as far as where we buy, it's all um, my own travels. And uh, it's usually four days a week. I'm on the road uh, as much as 12 hours each day. Um, Going into people's houses that I'm being invited into um, from, you know, our outreach. I mean, we we reach out to a lot of people trying to find leads where people are downsizing again. Um, I hit, you know, I go to other antique shops, flea markets still, um, and things like that to find unique items to resell. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. 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 And I think uh, one of the things that you mentioned to me in a, one of our previous conversations is that it takes a little bit of, uh, you know, salesmanship, but also right. uh, just willingness to really, you know, take that extra step, listen to people, ask that extra question. I think you yeah. mentioned to me like, you know, you go to a yard sale and say, ah, okay, I know this, you, you probably have other stuff, but it's not here. Right. Yeah. That's a huge part of this business. Um, I, mean, we, I think we can get into that a little bit more in the beginning of the next segment, just to kind of like uh, paint the picture a little bit more, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I said all that salesmanship and all those, all those failed attempts to, to tell you that they, basically this is all I'm doing is it's a sales job. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to sell my service to people who need to downsize and, and you know, uh, help them help them to sell things so right. um right yeah. yeah but 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 sometimes yeah you need to people sometimes don't know what they have you know and you and That's and they true. can't tell you and so you have to kind of find ways to let them you know think oh wait a minute yeah i do have something else you know right yeah, you welcome into it. I mean, I always tell, I always say that I, I, I want to be told no three times. So I ask, do you have anything else? Do you have anything else? Do you have anything else? Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's until I hear three no's, I'm not done. I'm going to keep asking for the, the next thing, you know? So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break now. Um, sure. Folks, we're going to, it'll be a short break. We When we come back, we'll be talking much more with Keith Alabone of Goods, Vintage, and Antiques. So don't go anywhere. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. The Voice America interactive radio player powered by Aircast gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for your iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back to 45 Forward, where we're talking with Keith Alabone about the vintage and antique business. Uh, before I continue, I wanted to let you know that you can find more about Keith on my Roel Resources site, uh, com. Just click the 45 forward tab. You can also find out more about him uh, going to his site, uh, which is goodsvintage.com. And uh, as I think he mentioned earlier in the, in the first segment, that you can find him on Etsy as well, um, where he does a lot of work and business on that. So, again, so Keith, uh, before the break, we were talking about how you, you know, find your way into houses. And sometimes people, 
you know, don't even realize they have stuff that's uh, that's different that they haven't put out in the yard to sell. Or sometimes they do know that and they don't, they don't want to give it away cheaply. So once you get into people's houses, how do you look for stuff? What are you looking for? What kinds of things are people, in terms of knowing your customer, listening to your customers, what things are they looking for? What do you look for? Good question. Um, well, first of all, it's always about, you know, kind of assessing their motive, assessing their urgency. I mean, they're... I deal with people who, I mean, when I walk into the house, the it's it's covered with like boxes and papers and it's extremely disorganized and you can tell that they're kind of in transition. And then some places are staged like it's a, uh, you know, on the cover of a magazine, you know, uh-huh, right. um, and, and so it's all different motives and urgency levels. So I kind of try to gauge that, you know. Just hey, why are you selling, or what can I help you with today, or were there certain things that you were looking to get rid of? Um, and usually, people will just lead me around into the house, and we kind of like a walkthrough, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like assessing the values and things, um, you know, selling and having a retail shop um, demands that we kind of have our thumb on the pulse of this market. You know, the antique, vintage, collectible market. So we're constantly doing research. We have five or six computers running a day where we're researching different, you know, different types of things, whether it's coins or, or uh, art or furniture. So we kind of know what is, um, what people are looking for because we hear feedback from our customers. Um, I go to auctions sometimes and sit and watch and just see what people are bidding on. Um, another trick I learned is from, from an, an older person in this business was he told me just go to um, museums. He's like, go to museums and see what they're uh, showcasing. That's how mm-hmm. you know, at least you'll know the standard for quality because that's museum quality thing. So, you, you know, if you see anything anywhere is like what is in the museums and someone's home, that's something you might be interested in. Um, so that's kind of a, a little bit of a reference that I use. And then obviously there's, there's the experience, you know, just doing it for long enough. Um, a lot of people have things that I don't want, <laughs> you know, right. as you can imagine. Um, I don't want to use the word junk, but it's just, they, they might have things that they are very motivated to get rid of, like a, a china closet or a dining room set. And those are not really what people are looking to buy who, who are furnishing homes. My customers are usually people that are furnishing homes. Um, so, there, you know, you have to do that dance of like, oh, well, I, I can't use that, but I can give you a reference of a way that you can get rid of that, whether it's donation or, you know, first dibs, Facebook marketplace. I try to guide people as best I can, too. I don't just leave them high and dry. Um, while simultaneously trying to get to the other things that we mentioned, the, the things of value, the things of interest. So, right, kind of, right. kind of how it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, you know, in some cases, you mentioned to me that uh, you, you deal with a lot of uh, period pieces and furniture, and, and I think I think people do look for something that's distinctive sometimes, and uh, that you know that that as you know, you know, in earlier times, the craftsmanship. Um, was more individual. There was more mm-hmm. artistry sometimes, you know, there was mass production. To, you didn't have the ability to do that, but also I think that, but there's a certain quality that people I think are looking for. Yeah, that's the word. And I, I should have said that earlier when you asked, but that's kind of the overall thing that I'm looking for is, is quality because we live in a, in a day and age where I guess you can call it like a throwaway culture. I mean, we mm-hmm. Americans are uh, consumerists, you know, they, we always want the new iPhone. We always want the new thing. Um, you know, be that as it may, you know, that doesn't always lead to people buying things that can hold value and have quality. So that's kind of what I look for, because, you know, you figure in the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, artisans made things with a lot more attention to detail, a lot better materials. Um, and that transitions to all the different types of things we buy, whether it's jewelry, furniture, or paintings, there's a lot less mass produced things. So what I try to do and what drives me as a passion is finding uh, cultivating and protecting things of value that are that have quality, you know, because of the way that they're made, not just the way that they're made, but also the fact that they're not made that way anymore. You know, that old adage, you know, they don't make it like they used to, right? Is, is yeah. a real thing. So, um, I think those are the things that I'm looking for that they're worth protecting, they're worth carrying on, and they have a market for it because people know that they're not going to find the things that I have on Amazon. They're not going to find the things that I have on uh, in Ikea, you know? Right, so right, right. Um, that's, that's kind of what drives me. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes too, uh, you know, uh, uh, sometimes when you make repairs in a, in a house or, you know, renovations or stuff and you're looking for stonework or things like that, uh, or masonry, you're just like, you realize <laughs> there aren't people who could do this stuff anymore. You know, right. 
you know, we, the, the craft has, has, has basically, you know, evaporated and it's a shame, but, um, you know, so yeah, you, even if you wanted these pieces to be made now, you, you can't oh. find the craftsman to do it. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, um, you know, I, I remember um, years ago when I was actually starting out as a reporter, I, I happened to do a, a piece on a, an antique shop in a local community here. And I remember it was years ago, but I remember you know, the piece I did was very sort of impressionistic about going through this, um, this shop and just looking at these items. And, uh, you know, you just felt like, wow, you're just walking through history. And I think mm. that's another dimension to what you, you know, your work is. I think that people like, you know, you know, like, you know, all these pieces, they, they invariably have a story and it's about sort of that right. person and the piece itself. So talk, you get it, I wanted to ask you about some of those um, yeah. more interesting stories, you know. Yeah. Um, well, the cool thing about <clears throat> the way that we operate is that, like I mentioned, I'm on the road four days a week and I, I'm mm -hmm. making, I mean, people are inviting me into their homes in a lot of cases and I'm, I'm making a connection with them. And when I'm saying to them, Hey, I really love that lamp. I'd love to buy that and have that in my shop. They'll say something like, Oh, that was my great aunt's and she migrated here from, you know, from Ukraine or whatever it is. And she brought that with her. And, and I remember as a kid, I grew up with it and I used to play around it and she warned me not to bump into it. And, and, and so when I buy those types of things and bring them into my shop, someone comes in and says, oh, I love this lamp. And I can say, hey, yeah, this came from a woman who migrated here from the Ukraine. So it's kind of like I get to transfer the story. I'm, I'm a custodian of that, of that story, of that lineage, of that piece, you know, um, which is another cool thing because I'm like the direct dealer. I'm like from, the, from A to B, you know, I, I'm, I'm still around to tell people the story of, of the, each individual item in a lot of cases. And and sometimes that helps to sell it. Sometimes people could care less. I mean, <laughs> they couldn't care less. Right. But um, it is cool to have that, uh, you know, that that job to be that like custodian of that story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, stories and history, you, um, um, I'd asked earlier uh, before we started our our, our uh, conversation today, just about the name, you know, goods, uh, antiques, right. vintage antiques, about history behind that. So tell us a little bit about that. That's a good story in itself. Yeah, well, thank you. And I, I wanted to kind of come up with something pretty simple, like a just like an all American kind of easy, easy name, kind of everyone can kind of say, identify with, and uh, understand. I didn't want it to be too avant garde, you know, because the things in here are, are avant garde and strange. I mean, you could see some of these things around me. We're on right. the, we're having the live chat here, but um, uh, yeah, my uh, my dad, he. Our last name is Alabone, as you mentioned earlier, and mm -hmm. it's kind of not not a really not really a name you hear every day. So I would ask him about our lineage and our, and our, our history in this, and um, he didn't really have too much insight. But he did say that he dated a French teacher at one point um, when he was younger, before I was born, and she she was like uh, into the history of the language and blah blah blah. And she said that Alabone might have come from an old French. Uh, language meaning all good, you know, like uh, bon nuit, you say good night in French, bon nuit, it means good night, bon appetit, mm -hmm. you know, good meal. So, um, so I always thought that was cool, you know, if it, I don't even know if it's true or not, because I talked to some other people who are, you know, literary people, and they said, no, that's not right. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yeah, he, that, that was his story with our name, Alabone. So I thought all good, you know, I'll just take that good part and make it like a pseudonym. You know, it's like goods. It's we spell it with the, the apostrophe s, like G O O D apostrophe s, as if it's like ownership. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a cool, cool pseudonym that's simple. Everyone can identify with or and, and or understand. So that's why yeah. I chose that name. Yeah, good. All goods. <laughs> yeah, all good. <laughs> right, goods vintage. Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, well, so th let's talk about some examples of stuff, though. I mean, so you mentioned that. Um, so, so quality furniture is something that you you know you that you think is high demand and you look for um but it's a whole range of stuff i mean you look at uh, different kinds of uh vintage jewelry right and watches um as well oh yeah yeah um well yeah we uh let me see we we just had a uh i just had in my hands a uh universal geneve chronograph they're extremely sought after really well made uh swiss watches um mm some of the best stuff you know it sells itself so you have the the name association that kind of um uh, inherently kind of ties that quality we were talking to mm -hmm. talking about earlier it, it, the names just tie the quality aspect to them you know right. like we have right now i'm sitting on a lane a lane chair and <clears throat> on a lane dining room set and the name lane is synonymous with quality good materials you know it's stuff that 
they don't use these these walnut woods anymore. It would be way too expensive for consumers to to be able to afford. The craftsmanship wouldn't be there. So, um, yeah, a lot of it is is uh, name association and 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 the quality. Um, whether it's a fine watchmaker from Switzerland or an American furniture brand, um, and then you have like obviously paintings and painters. I bought a, um, a lithograph from Carol Appel yesterday, who's just like a really fantastic uh, abstract artist. So, you know, these names get people excited. Um, they hold their value, you know, um, and uh, it just adds texture to the store to have these like, you know, these historical quality names in, in, the, in the shop. Right, right, right. Um, and I guess a lot of it is just, um, uh, you know, <laughs> it is, there's a sort of an entrepreneurial aspect to what you do every day. A lot of it's, you know, as yeah. you said, you quality of trial and error. You find stuff, you look at places, you might think you find stuff and you don't, but then you, you know, find things in unexpected places. Um, and I understand, so you work with a lot of different partners, right? I mean, in, in the sense of, or you have a network of people that, that are, yeah. you know, in related industries, like, you know. That's true. Yeah. yeah, that's so that's kind of like one of the trade secrets that we've developed. Um, honestly, in the last few years, we've kind of really built it up. We have uh, almost 350 uh, what, who we call partners, basically, mm -hmm. and they're professionals that don't do what we do. But the uh, our uh, our motives and our drives are in line with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, professional organizers, people hire professional organizers to help them downsize realtors, obviously, to, you know, people who are moving, you know, they have uh, clients that have needs around downsizing, uh, estate attorneys, um, clean out people, guys who do clean outs, you know, um, there's all types. I mean, even other antique shops and other antique dealers, they buy from me and I buy from them because it's like, I might need some chairs and they have chairs or they might need a large painting and I have a large painting. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's great to stay busy with that. And, um, as an entrepreneur, you have to stay busy. You have to keep, you know, money coming in and products coming in. So you, you know, it would be very beneficial to expand your network of, uh, of partners and professionals that can, you can have a symbiotic relationship with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, a lot of what I do is, is working with, um, um, seniors and, and their issues as they get older in life and, uh, look, they go from one part of life to another. And a lot of times they, they move, you know, so mm -hmm. that was, we were mentioning at the very beginning. And I think that, you know, there's been a whole, new crop of um subspecialties you know there are senior specialists who were real right. estate in real estate realtors as, as you probably well know um mm -hmm. and then also there are these um senior move specialists right you know, or, or as yep. you mentioned there are um you know it clean out folks but right. they don't you know sometimes they you can hire them and they'll they'll do you know uh, soup to nuts but often mm -hmm. in that process they'll bring in people like you because they'll go like well Right. I, I can sell your stuff, but I, this is some of it I don't know. I need to bring an expert to assess these things, right? Right. And, and just like a, a realtor, right? Take a realtor, for example. They're a perfect example. Um, they have to know a good title person. They have to know a good uh, mortgage person. They have to know right. a good inspector. They have to know contractors, um, insurance. They have to know all these other professionals that they network with who don't do what they do, but they uh, are uh, complementary you know, uh, businesses to what they do. So so that's what we've worked on really trying to find. And when I, you said, it's funny you say senior move managers, because when I heard that term for the first time, I remember my ears perking up and I was like, what, I was like, who, who's that? Who's the professional? I need to know who they are. Cause we had already been dealing with other types of professionals and I never dealt with specifically a professional or um, a senior move manager. So I knew there was opportunity there because obviously a lot of senior people are, they're down, usually they're downsizing. They're not buying new stuff or buying bigger houses because they've already raised their children and now they need to downsize and move to a smaller condo nine times out of 10. Um, so when I heard about the senior move managers, we started marketing to them instantly and we've already forged five or six relationships with those types of people, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they deal with a lot of you know different aspects of it, you know, that they can deal with you know the emotional aspects of helping people move and and right. um, you know and where do they want to move to and what are some of the issues they face um but then there's this there's the you know the rubber hits the road it's like what do they do with all their stuff you know right. and how, right. how do they assess that um yeah so yeah right. so um so yeah so uh listen we're gonna another take another quick break sure keith um uh, folks, uh, we're going to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking much more in our last segment with Keith Albone of Goods, Vintage, and Antiques. Uh, so stick around for our last piece. 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. The Voice America interactive radio player powered by Aircast gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for your iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, to 45 Forward. We're talking today with Keith Alamo of Goods, Vintage, and Antiques. Um, before the break, we were talking about um, a lot of different aspects of um learning how to work with different customers. Uh, and I thought uh, in our last segment, just maybe uh, we could just get a couple more stories about uh, some of your more interesting uh, finds or interesting customers that you've met over the years. And uh, I know I, you probably established relationships with some of them. Some become probably, you know, people you deal with uh, fairly frequently, you can even become friends with some of them. And um, So you have a couple of stories you can tell us about. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the thing about this job and my part of it is that, you know, you never really know what you're going to find. And we, we talked about getting into houses before. And uh, I think we had, in the end of January, uh, we had 10 appointments where I bought one thing, uh, mm. painting hanging over there, but which is really bad. And then I think uh, this month we, we did, we did, I think 10 in a row where I bought something from everyone. <laughs> so you really, wow. it's kind of showing you, it's like, it's like a coin toss, right? Right. Out of 20 appointments, I'm buying from, from 10. Um, so you never really know what you're going to find. You never know who you're going to meet. I mean, there's so many unique, uh, interesting individuals. Um, I met a guy, he, he called himself Ratface. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and he owns this huge warehouse in Philadelphia in a really, really bad neighborhood. But he's like, hey, man, I got a ton of stuff that I could sell you. And I'm like, okay, Ratface, let's, let's, let's schedule an appointment. So I go over there. And this guy, he's been collecting things that he rents to people who are filming movies, right? Usually mm. it's small indie movies, but he's got all kinds of props, all kinds of crazy stuff, mannequins and weird heads and sculptures and fake staircases and fake weapons, all kinds of crazy stuff. So he, him and I built a relationship and I was able to go over there three or four times and just what I call picking, you know, like the American pickers. I just go out and pick stuff and just buy stuff that he doesn't use or need anymore. Some stuff will say, no, I'm renting that. I'm going to use it. Some stuff he'll just say, yeah, sure. Give me, you know, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever. So, um, you know, I've forged quite a few relationships with people like that over the years where I can call on them pretty much any day of the week and we could set something up in a few days, you know, time. And they just always have stuff, you know? So um, that's kind of one, one cool story and mm -hmm. somebody who's pretty interesting and unique. Um, there was another lady one time she called me because she got one of my advertisements and she, uh, we advertise in Philadelphia, obviously. Right. And uh, I met her in a place in Philly and she's like, oh yeah, um, hey, well, there's a few things here, but I have more stuff at my studio. So I'm like, oh, okay, so, well, maybe we can go to the studio. Sometimes people have more than one property. So I bought a few things from her there and she's like, all right, let's go to the studio. Just follow me. So I'm like, all right, so I'm thinking studio, like maybe it's like a studio apartment or something like that. So I get in the car and we start going over the bridge and I'm like, oh, we're going to Jersey. Okay. So then we start hitting a quick turn off the bridge and we're in Camden and, um, I was like, oh, okay, we're in Camden. And then, so it's like the, it's like the huge, I think it's a project building above 
right next to the bridge there. So, you know, I'm with this woman and she's an elderly woman and um, I'm like dressed real, real, real nice and fancy. And we get out uh, in the projects and she's like, we walk out and everyone knows everyone's saying hello. And we hit the button on the elevator and go to like the 30th floor, top floor. She lives in a, in a studio apartment in this, wow. uh, in this building. And um, her studio was really jammed up with stuff. Like she really needed to sell a lot of stuff. So I'm digging through some stuff. She's showing me all kinds of stuff. Really great collector. She had a lot of a lot of interesting things. And now I put some stuff to the side. And there's like a pile of clothes in the corner. I could see a corner of a of like a trunk, you know, like a traveler's trunk mm-hmm. that people used to use. I could see the little LV, Louis Vuitton uh, monogram, mm-hmm. um, which Louis Vuitton started off making trunks for traveling. He made high quality, you know, uh, canvas, leather, and wood uh, uh, luggage. So I was like, what's that over there? So I moved the clothes and it's this Louis Vuitton trunk, trunk from the turn of the century. And she's like, oh yeah, I've had that for a while. She, she, I think she was related to the kid who played Buckwheat in the Little Rascals or something. So her, her family was kind of like in the, in the film industry, um, wow. you know? So they, um, you know, they had some money and they, they traveled around the world. And that's why you would need a trunk like that to travel and bring your stuff around mm-hmm. um, on, on boats and, and, and planes and things back then. So, uh, so yeah, I bought that from her and, and it was a real old one and people got excited because it could have been worked on by Louis Vuitton himself. It was the right period and the right, you know, the right, it was his French, his French location. I'm not sure which, which city in France, right. but it was, you know, before they expanded out to the States and all in London and all that, they only had a location in France. So it was, it had the French location on there, his first studio. Um, people, when I put it up for auction, people flew in from England just to, just to come look at it and they ended wow. up buying it. Wow. So that was a good find. That's something you don't, you know, you don't think, you know, you don't think you're going to find something like that in, in some places, but you, you know, you just never, you never know. You never right. know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you go, even when you go to these places, you're looking in one place, as you just mentioned, you're looking in one part of the room. It's just like, Oh, that's not even where I should be looking. <laughs> it's yeah. in this other yeah. place where, where no one said anything and, and you just catches your eye. Yeah. It happens all the time. I got, I get calls for beanie babies and I'll go, I'll go to the appointment. If it's, uh-huh. if it's like a, you know, as long as it's like a larger house, usually, you know, it's in a, it's in a, um, a place where, where people have, you know, some, a good amount of money, good incomes and stuff like that. People, you know, usually the best collectors they're, they're collecting because they have ex- expendable income. Um, so yeah. So if, if I get a call from in a good area and, um, it sounds like an older person, I'll just go if I'm yeah. not super busy and yeah. I've bought gold, I bought globs and globs of gold from people because they were calling me to sell beanie babies. And I'm like, no, I don't want those, but what else do you have? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yeah. the magic question. What else do you have? And I'll ask right. that four or five times if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, uh, at my age, you know, I th- sort of think about antiques of, you know, being, you know, 50 years before you know, I was growing up, but, but now of course, as you, <laughs> as you move on, you realize that there's a lot of interest in vintage stuff from when I was a kid. Um, yeah. So yep. there's, uh, I mean, uh, I guess um, there are games there. You know, mm-hmm. now as technology is aging, some early technology, but really people are finding interesting, right? I mean, I, yeah, I, I was... um, um, I remember doing a story about this uh, uh, situation up here on Long Island where the house is being, um, you know, the 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 owner had, had passed away, so the children were trying to basically, you know, get deal with all the stuff in this house, mm-hmm. and the guy was a ham radio operator. And, oh, and cool. just a, in general, a collector. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he never threw out anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it was just interesting. Like every, you know, every time he bought a new television, you know, he had, you know, older televisions that were still in decent shape. So people were like really interested in, you know, I mean, there was a whole ham radio club that the, that the um, state person called in to evaluate all that stuff. But aren't, are, so are there new, uh, new things like, like, the old Nintendo games or things like that, that people really like. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think I alluded to the fact that um, the people who are buying things now to furnish their homes are, you know, 30 somethings. They're people who maybe are newly married, just bought a, a house and stopped renting. So now they need to like buy the stuff that they want to have around for a good amount of time while they're raising children. You know um, I mean, that's just one, one part of one demographic right. of who we sell to, but you know, you see a lot of that. So to, if I wasn't, you have to identify with what those people want. Obviously, it's a big part of my my customer base. So they like 
stuff that was when they were a kid was around like old nintendo first the first mac you know uh computer um you know retro retro sneakers retro clothing um um records that are you know like funk soul jazz rap you know people were buying that kind of stuff now 30 something were buying that stuff now so i definitely deal in stuff that's as, as new as the 80s 1980s um right and yeah, it just it just sparks nostalgia for people. You know what I mean. As long as you can offer it at a reasonable reasonable price, uh, they would love to to buy that, and collect that kind of stuff too. Um, so we deal with stuff from you know the seventeen hundreds to the to the nineteen eighties, basically. Right. Wow. Um, anything yeah. old or cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's just yeah. all part of it. Yeah, and I think uh, you know even we we have all these games, you know, electronic games, uh, but they're still, I think, actually a little bit of a you know, research and interest like, uh, you know, arcade games. I mean, I, as I was, you know, you're talking, I was thinking back to, to when I was growing up and my, my, my dad, uh, we had a pinball machine in the basement, you know, mm-hmm. and I often think about that, like, you know, not only how much fun we had, but boy, wish I had that today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's people who collect that. You can believe it or not. I mean, it's such a cumbersome thing to, to kind of buy and sell, but they, uh, there are people that, like old, you know, old video games and pachinko machines and things like that. Right. So right. definitely yeah. old records and old, I, I always buy stuff that's uh, centered around um, uh, LPs and records. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's record stands or records themselves, record players, speakers. It always sells. It always yeah. sells for us. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you go into uh, a home, um, you know, that's full of stuff, uh, maybe just talk a little bit more about. It. I know that sometimes you're just looking around and stuff, but if someone comes in and says, "Listen, Keith." Give me a hand or how do I, how do I have a strategy to figure out what to do with this stuff? Yeah. Well, um, I like myself, uh, I like the other, the other people I mentioned earlier have a network of, of different types of folks that kind of operate in this field that don't do it exactly the way I do. I have a guy who, um, has like a mid-century warehouse. He has a whole huge warehouse, uh, just mid-century stuff. You know, um, I have a couple of uh, people that remove junk, you know, um, I have uh, a couple of dealers that only deal in specific things like vintage clothing or vintage records. Um, so I, I would recommend someone who's downsizing, have someone like me and who has a broad idea uh, about, uh, you know, all these different fields and things that they could potentially have can help them assess the value, possibly buy things that they might want to sell and then give them leads um, and insight on other uh, avenues to go with. Because you know, I, I just buy and sell directly. I mean, I buy directly from my clients and I resell, but there are uh, companies that could help auction things. Um, mm-hmm. There's companies that could help uh, stage estate sales. You know, those are those are entirely different businesses uh, that operate differently than I do, but they are still, they still have the same motive is to help their clients sell things. Right, right. So. Yeah, I think sometimes it is, you know, I, I think probably, some situations are that are a little tough is dealing with the situations where um, uh, customers, you know, have, have items that they think are really cool and, <laughs> and yeah. uh, worth something. And they're like, you have to sort of let them down. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. If you really, if you really like it that much it's sentimental, then keep it, you know, but it's not. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. Or, I say that all the time. I say that all the time. I, I, I tell them I can't replace sentiment. You know, if, if I'm just offering you money, but if the sentiment is more valuable to you, please hold on to it. I don't want you, uh, you know, calling me at two in the morning. Oh, I, I shouldn't have sold that. I'm sorry. I need it back. You yeah. know? Um, so, it, you know, there's, um, there's a cadence you have to kind of have and an understanding. It's a sensitivity you have to have. I, I can't go in there expecting to buy anything because people aren't always ready. They're, they might not like the price. Uh, they might have a sentimental attachment. They might have to ask their, their partner or spouse or, whoever family members so yeah um there's definitely a level of uh, attachment and sentiment people have that i can't compete with with money but at the same time i have to also let them know like hey like this china closet your grandma always said is going to be worth something you're not maybe you're not going to get an roi on that it's not like ibm stock you know what i'm saying right, like, there's not right, always going to be right. a return on inve- a return on investment on on some things that came from the past yeah. um I, I tell people all the time i said you didn't buy this as an investment you bought it to hold your china so right. uh don't expect it to, you know, produce a profit for you. You got to let it go. Just right. holding up the sale of your house. Yeah, yeah. And some things, you know, like when we had a yard sale, we we sold a bunch of things, and then there were some things that were left. And we just, I just had a bin of blocks, you know, children's blocks, old fashioned, mm. you know, just plain yeah. blocks. But 
you know, I had a lot of fun with our kids, you know, and sentimental value, but, but no one would buy them. But I was like, mm. you know what? I, I think these things are great. So what do I do, I, you know, I put them up online and on a local you know, website and said, mm-hmm. anybody want these blocks? I'm not going to throw them out, you know, give them, give them away. Yeah. It's, and a couple of people came by and some people said like, wow, this is really got my kids would love this. So even just giving them away, it felt good yeah. to me that it was, you know, you passed on to something to, for another family to use. So definitely. Yeah. I, I referred I refer people to donation services definitely weekly. Almost every time I go out to buy, I right. refer people right. to donation services. Right. Right. Because yeah. um it's better to throw something better than throwing something out. You don't want stuff yeah. to end up in landfill yeah. that doesn't have to. Yeah. Um so yeah. yeah. And and I think that, you know, just even that going just the last thing I wanted to ask you about is I, you know, in a in a just you know. Briefly, uh, I, I guess the uh, the online opportunities really have, have, have had the uh, you know a real opportunity to, to expand the business. I mean, you can really have a lot of reach there, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I've been so grateful that we kind of made the decision to get online full force a few years ago, and now we're kind of caught up with it to where we offer all of our I mean, hundreds and hundreds, almost thousands of items to people all over the world. I mean, we sell to people in Germany, uh, Canada, Japan, China, uh, Russia, you know, Venezuela, all, all over the place. And, uh, it's great because they can enjoy the stuff that we enjoyed growing up. So yeah, it does. It it helps in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So with that in mind, uh, uh, we have to wrap up, but I think I wanted to, uh, along those lines, uh, just, um, first, thank you very much, Keith, for Oh, yeah. the show it was a real pleasure Ron, having welcome. you and uh, if people want to reach you either to buy or sell or just ask you questions what's the best way to reach you we are on instagram you can always send us a direct message to uh instagram we're uh, at goods vintage that's g-o-o-d-s-v-i-n-t-h-e mm-hmm. uh at goods vintage our logo is a little a black bird you'll see okay um we're on uh we're on we're on uh ebay it's goods underscore vintage mm-hmm. you can find our things there Okay. And then Etsy is shop goods vintage. Okay. Um, I think you told you mentioned the website, which our website is kind of like a splash page, landing page. Okay. It's not fully built out the way we would like, but you can still message us there and find right. a right. way to contact okay. us there. Great. Okay. Well, thanks again, Keith. And uh, so, folks, uh, tell your friends if you missed my conversation with Keith today, uh, you can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Just search my show 45 Forward. You can also find it on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Art Radio, um, Pandora, um, and you can also find it on my website as well. Uh, you know where you'll find more about Keith and and have links to these various uh, ways you can reach him. So, folks, um, be sure to join me next Monday, twelve noon Pacific, three p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Alexander Cerrone, a registered dietitian nutritionist who offers a very interesting holistic and refreshingly doable approach to maintaining a healthy diet. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.